did the universe come into being? Are we alone in the universe? All my life, I have sought to understand the universe. Good afternoon. It's comet time. Last week, everybody witnessed, or not everybody, but most people saw the um, ESA um, Rosetta lander, or the Philae lander from the Rosetta spacecraft land on a comet, 67P. So there were some problems with it. It bounced off before it could get back on. And its tether hooks didn't work very well. The gravity on the comet is very small in comparison to Earth. So the spacecraft, which is a golf-sized spacecraft, wearing a couple thousand tons, if it landed on the comet, it would weigh about one gram. So it's difficult to get the comet to stay especially when the hooks don't work. So today I'll be talking about Comet 67P, but also other comets, one called Ison, another one uh, called um, Comet Siding Spring, and an asteroid called Bennu. So first, let's look at Comet Ison. So Comet Ison of October last year, it came within 6.5 million miles of Mars. And... Um, caused some spectacular fireworks in Mars's atmosphere. So the comet was spotted about a year before, and it was going to towards the sun and would have a grazing encounter with the sun. It was in the southern hemisphere, so we could not see it. But this was the first comet to pass close to Mars in the past year. It was quite close, but Comet uh, Siding Spring just this last October, October 18th, it came 10 times closer to Mars. And that really, really uh, shot up some spectacular fireworks in the Martian atmosphere. NASA has a bunch of rovers on Mars, probes, uh, satellites, or spacecraft roaming around Mars, orbiting around India has one now too. So there was lots of um, spacecraft to witness this. In 1987, when the comet, um, Halley's Comet, came in our inner solar system, this was uh, probably the hundredth or the thousandth time it came in our inner solar system. It's a short period comet, so its orbit is less than 200 years. So it has interacted, the sun's rays have interacted with its surface, the volatiles on Halley's Comet, so the gas and the ice and all the material on the comet um, has had encounters with the sun many times. In a few thousand more orbits, Halley's will burn up and be no more. So one of the differences with many of these comets is that this is their first time in the inner solar system. So they are like time capsules. They are frozen in time how they appear now is exactly how they appeared 4.6 billion years ago when our solar system was formed. So these comets are giving astronomers 
a rare opportunity to study Oort cloud comets. So the comet 67P, for example, it is thought to have an orbit period of millions of years. So it won't come back for another quite a few million years. It was probably nudged out of its orbit by some other comet or some other maybe passing star. So that is why it came in. So it was in the Oort cloud for these millions of years. Some comets do not um, go around the sun. They only fly by Mars and they orbit around Mars. So some of them, a lot of them that we have seen go around the Earth. So I'm going to talk about Ison and um, Comet Siding Spring. Uh, but before that, in 1987, a comet, 1994, sorry, Comet Shoemaker-Levy 9 plunged into Jupiter. And it broke apart. So Jupiter is like a vacuum cleaner. It's a cosmic vacuum cleaner. It protects Earth in many ways because many of the comets that come into the solar system, the inner solar system, are uh, captured by Jupiter or they plunge into Jupiter. So Jupiter's our friend. It protects us. Um, the comet Shoemaker-Levy 9 broke into nine big parts and other smaller parts, and when they did impact Jupiter's surface, there were many clouds and spots, many of them bigger than the Earth. Uh, comet Siding Spring came uh, very close to the moon, Mars. Sorry, I have abbreviations here, and I put a big M for Mars and the moon. So when I'm reading, sometimes I don't know what I wrote before. So came extremely close to Mars in October 18th. One of NASA's spacecrafts may even have to be moved to protect it from having an encounter with the comet. So this will be, um, this was the second close shave of a comet passing Mars within a time span of just one year. So if we would have seen that on Earth, we would have seen spectacular fireworks, but they didn't come by Earth, they went by Mars. But we're lucky to have lots of spacecraft. Um, the observation of Comet Sighting Spring was first made by Leonid Elenin, a reputable uh, comet astronomer who works in the Institute of Applied Math. He was saying the comet could pass even closer than what they said. He thought it could have impacted Mars, but it didn't. So last year, Comet Ison came close to Mars, then Comet Sighting Spring. So... Um, the comet came closer to Mars than any previous estimates, 68,000 miles. So that's about uh, one-third of the distance between the Moon and the Earth. So comets are, can be huge, but their material is very porous, like a sponge. Um, so Comet Sighting Spring came close to Mars in October 18th, 2000, or 2014. So MAVEN, one of, Mars, um, one of NASA's Mars orbiters, reported back to Earth in good health after spending three hours ducking the possible collision with the comet. In 87, two Soviet spacecraft went into the comet's path and they were damaged. So these comets, the little dust particles, are very dangerous to astronauts and to spaceships. So now let's talk about the latest comet. The Philly lander landed on comet 67P. 
This was quite spectacular since the comet was going about 60,000 miles an hour. This is Marco on AstroTalk. We'll pause now for a priority ad. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah blah, blah 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 There's only one club worth joining at UBC, and that's CITR 101.9 FM. We got free tickets to shows, whirly pops, professional help in all types of audio engineering, passes to festivals, crazy parties, live band swag, all types of crazy people. Our programming manager rides a motorcycle. There's freestyle rapping, Nardwar, the human serviette, the vinyl and record libraries, Discorder magazine, free studio recording, and it sure beats the hell out of Paperclip Club, which is a thing that I just made up because I work at CITR. So come check us out on the top floor of the Student Union building. We got all types of crazy shit for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca. about comets today and the world got to see a comet landing the comet was probably past the freeze line so that's the are are not yet at the freeze line so the freeze line is the point close to mars where comets start to ignite because they interact with the sun's atmosphere and uh so when the orbiter landed on comet 67p there were no fireworks so just a little bit more about the other comet comet sighting spring so when Comet Sighting Spring went close to Mars, it came so close that NASA decided to put its Mars Odyssey rover and the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter and its the Mars Atmosphere and Volatile Evolution spacecraft called MAVEN had to duck and cover on the other side of the planet. Comet Sighting Spring had a lot of debris and dust. It was the first time it came through the inner solar system. So when it was interacting with the sun, there was a lot of debris, a lot of dust coming from it, a lot of fireworks. The comet was flying at 126,000 miles per hour, just 87,000 miles above my Mars surface. So if the orbiters were anywhere near this comet, it would have blasted through them like a shotgun. This comet has moved on now and does not seem to uh, pose a threat to Earth. And after it, it, it um, goes around the sun, it will head back to the outer solar system. This comet, Comet Sighting Spring, was discovered by Ace Comet Hunter Robert McNaud at the Sighting Spring Observatory in New South Wales in Australia on January 3rd. So that is why it was called Comet Sighting Spring. This, this astronomer, he's an Ace Comet Hunter, 
he has discovered 75 comets before. So um, it was going past the uh, Mars at 35 miles per second. So Seattle's about 140 miles from here. It could have get, gotten from here to Seattle in four seconds, which is quite close. So that some, seems like a good idea. Why not park a orbiter or some kind of vehicle on a comet when it goes into the outer solar system? It will take it out so we can take pictures. But so far that, not has, that has not been done. Okay, so now I'm going to go and talk about Philly. So the Philly lander landed on Mars uh, last week. Sorry, a comet, Comet 67P. And what happened, it's uh, a difficult thing to do. The comet's going anywhere from 60 to 80,000 miles an hour, and many trajectories are calculated on the landing. When the Philly lander disengaged from the Rosetta spacecraft, the Rosetta spacecraft... Um, We'll continue to orbit the comet, but the Philly lander took seven and a half hours to get onto the comet. So when it did, it bounced. So Ros the Rosetta lander finally was captured after it was bounced. So it was a difficult thing. So Rosetta is a European Space Agency mission with contribution from its member states and from NASA. NASA has five, five instruments on Rosetta, so NASA is, is uh, monitoring the comet. So what happened then when the comet landed on the, the uh, area it did, on, or when the lander landed on the, comma, on the comet, uh, the astronomers from the European Space Agency expected it to land on soft, powdery, on a soft, powdery surface, but it landed on a hard surface. It was therefore difficult to get its tenter hooks to hook into Mars, hook onto the comet. So after that, they had an intention of drilling 23 centimeters into the surface of the comet and to relay the data, but they couldn't do that very well because the lander would weigh about one gram because of the uh, very low gravity of the comet. So what happened is they were unable to drill as they wanted to. So then the comet or the lander had a battery life of two and a half hours. So it transmitted pictures for two and a half hours before it was put to sleep. The plan of the European Space Agency was to have the solar panels of the lander capture sun, sunlight so it could work and do science, drill into the surface, but the surface was hard ice, and it could only hammer a few millimeters into the surface. The, com or the lander landed on an extremely hard surface covered in dust. Many, com many comets and many asteroids, as well as many of the moons in the outer solar system, like of Jupiter and Saturn, are covered with uh, layers of dust. So... The lander, Philly lander, try to use its Muppets probe. I don't have a uh, something here to tell you what Muppets stands for.
the target asteroid for NASA on its asteroid sample return mission. In 2020, or about there, the spacecraft Orion will take astronauts into the deepest uh, trip on space that has ever been uh, um, performed for humans. So what will happen is the uh, orbiter from the Orion spacecraft will descend on the comet and it will take samples back. And what will happen, the samples will be jettisoned back to Earth and they will drop into Earth's atmosphere. So the, um, that is an exciting mission. So one thing that hasn't been talked about much when talking about comet is something called a chondrule. So what's a chondrule? It's a planet, it's like original materials from the solar system. Planets are stuff that our planet Earth had but it has been altered by geological activity and chemical reaction with our atmosphere and water. So many of these comets and asteroids that are not coming into Earth, are co that are coming into the solar system, have not interacted yet with the Sun. So that is one of the different things. Now, asteroid Bennu, uh, the plan is for NASA to land an orbiter, or land a, yeah, land an orbiter on Bennu, with humans landing too, and then they will corral the asteroid and bring it into orbit around the moon. So right now, um, there was a lot of excitement in the past year with a few co comet flybys of Mars and this comet uh, 67P. So next week, I'll keep you up to date on the latest on the comet, on the comets. This is Marco. You have been listening to AstroTalk on CITR.
Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of Thunderbird Eye, your weekly update on UBC Varsity Athletics right here on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. Alongside CJ Pentland, Lenny Tabakman, I'm Jason Wang, and let's get into it with UBC Thunderbirds ice hockey this past week on the men's play. Uh, Thunderbirds battling the conference leader Alberta Golden Bears in a two-game series, and CJ, the Thunderbirds just overpowered by the Alberta side. Yeah, the first time these two teams squared off uh, in the f- opening weekend of the year, UBC held their own and uh, played pretty well in managing a weekend split. Um, uh, and the, the loss as well, they even held up pretty well. Uh, but this weekend, yeah, Alberta really just showing why they're the top team in the, the conference and also one of the top teams in the country as well, uh, winning the first game 5-1, to one, and uh, the second game was a 5 nothing shutout victory as well. And just in all facets of the game, um, they outshot UBC. The first game, it was... 33 to 19, so not too much of a split. But then you look at the Saturday night game, and it was 44 to 10. Um, so that kind of just tells a bit of the story right there. Uh, in that contest, Matt Hewitt obviously doing his best, making 30, uh, 39 saves. Uh, actually, sorry, he made 34 saves till before Eric Williams came in to kind of just provide a bit of relief in the shooting gallery. Um, but the only goal of the weekend belonged to Dylan, I believe it was Dylan Wagner. Uh, of UBC. He scored uh, in the early second period of the first contest, but since then, UBC just unable to click on offense, and they've uh, kind of got into a little bit of a skid as of late, and that makes this weekend's games all the more important. Yeah, in the standings, the Golden Bears extended their winning streak to now a dozen games on the trot, and they're the runaway conference leaders with 13 wins and 14 games. Thunderbirds remained idle in fourth place, six wins and 14, but they're back on home ice this week to looking for that bounce back effort against the Manitoba Bisons uh, tomorrow night and Saturday the two game series and here on our CITR sports coverage we'll bring you the live play by play of tomorrow night's game starting at 7 o'clock out of Thunderbird Arena and it's an extremely important uh, series considering Manitoba is just right behind UBC in the standings just two points back in fifth uh, with 12 points and then also they're tied with Saskatchewan who's at 12 points so uh, UBC uh, hanging on to fourth, but um, the, with two losses in a row, they're kind of losing that kind of ground they had gained in early on in the season with those big wins against Alberta, Calgary, Mount Royal, and uh, I've kind of slipped down from that upper upper uh, d- division there. But uh, this weekend could easily, with at least one win, can help them get back in there and get a little bit of uh, head into the winter break with uh, heading on the right foot. Now switching over to the women's side in ice hockey, the Thunderbirds this past week, the two-game series against the Alberta Pandas, UBC on their home ice, and battling the Pandas to a split. Uh, Thunderbirds winning 3-1 last week Friday, but the Pandas bounced back to beat UBC 4-2 Saturday, uh, and we saw a brilliant individual performance from the Pandas uh, scoring forward Allison Campbell scoring a hat-trick in last Saturday's game. And which was really the only bad start for UBC goaltender Sam Langford in a long time. Yeah, she's been uh, phenomenal all year long, and she was uh, once again fantastic on the Friday night game. Uh, Alberta got out to an early one nothing lead in that contest, but she was lights out uh, over the rest of that game, uh, making 27 saves to pick up the victory. She's got a and uh, after that game, her goals against average was just over one, and she had the best save percentage in the conference, uh, up at 9.46. Those totals were a bit of a dip after getting pulled uh, in the Saturday night game, but focusing on the Friday one at first, uh, very strong. Uh, another individual performance was from Rebecca Unrau, who uh, tied the game up in the second period with a beautiful uh, breakaway goal, low hard wrist shot, blocker side, and then another 
perfectly placed shot, uh, slap shot, kind of curving around in the high slot on the power play. Proved to be, able to be the game winner in that one, and then Nicole Saxvik uh, scored uh, the third goal. He helped put it away on the power play uh, late in the third. And then, uh, yeah, Alberta kind of getting a bit of revenge and kind of not letting UBC really pull away at the top of the conference standings, uh, handing UBC their first loss at home in regulation in about two years. I think it was on November 24th. 2012 was the last time that happened and Allison Campbell with a hat trick and the goals for UBC Kelly Murray and uh, Logan Boyd in that one yeah individual scores for UBC so far this season a bit more balanced than what we saw from the last season when Tatiana Rafter was a runaway scoring machine at forward and Hmm. not many other line mates near her in scoring but this season a bit more of a balance uh, in the top 10 in individual scoring Sarah Casorso from the blue line actually leads all players uh, six goals six assists and Rafter and Unrel quite evenly matched so far uh, each with 11 points uh, Rafter six goals Unrel five goals so a bit more of a balanced scoring spread across two forward lines for UBC this season in play. And then on, uh, in, the, in the net, uh, Samantha Langford, who started uh, 11 of the 12 games for the UBC so far this year, uh, still holds a very impressive uh, 1.64 goals against average, which is third best in the conference, and then uh, .938 save percentage, with, which is second best, and uh, gives her an 8-2-1 record so far, and helping UBC maintain into that slim lead over Alberta in the Western Conference standings. Yeah, and this week they battle the Manitoba Bisons in Winnipeg for the two-game series tomorrow and Saturday night. And now we make the transition from the ice to the hard court in volleyball this past week. The Thunderbirds on their home court battling the Alberta Pandas and Golden Bears in women's and men's play, respectively. And Lenny Tabakman has our update on that front. Thanks, Jason. The women's team split their weekend series with the University of Alberta Pandas, with both matches actually going to five sets, so it was a tight weekend. The first match was very close for the most part. The teams alternated sets with UBC taking the first set 26-24, but the second set was quite an anomaly actually as the Pandas decisively beat the Thunderbirds 25-9, but then the match reverted back to its close margins with the T-Birds winning the third 27-25 and the Pandas taking the fourth 25-23, and in the fifth and deciding set UBC pulled away to take the 15-9 set win and the match. And in that game, for the Pandas, it was Josephine Dorfler, who had 16 kills. And for the Thunderbirds, Danielle Brisebois had 19 kills, leading her team. And in the second match, the Thunderbirds won the first set, 25-22, dropped the next two, and came back to win the fourth in another close set with a 25-23 win. But then they dropped the fifth set, 15-11. Meg Casalt led the Pandas with 19 kills, and Danielle Brisebois had another strong match, leading the Thunderbirds with 21 kills, which is actually a career high for her. So Brisebois had the best weekend for the Thunderbirds with a total of 40 kills in total, as well as 12 digs on the defensive side. And she's really doing her part to help adjust for the absence of Lisa Barclay, the MVP of the team last year, who has only played in two matches this year due to injury, and she's currently nursing an ankle sprain. So the split weekend leaves the Thunderbirds at 6th in the Canada West, and this weekend UBC takes on 8th place Winnipeg the University of Winnipeg Westman here at War Memorial as they hope to move up in the standings. And on the men's side, this past weekend they also went up against the U of A Golden Bears, but they failed to hand U of A their first loss of the season, so the Golden Bears remain undefeated. 
On Friday night, Alberta won three sets to one with UBC taking the second set. Riley Barnes had a huge game for the Golden Bears, finishing with 25 kills. Meanwhile, Irvin Barr and Mac McNichol led the Thunderbirds with 14 kills apiece. And in the second match of the weekend, it was a very tight five-set victory once again for the U of A. The teams traded sets after UBC got off to a strong start, taking the first set 25-16, including a rare nine-point serving run by Alex Russell. And in the second and fourth sets, the Golden Bears won 25-23. In the third set, UBC had another big margin of victory, winning 25-17. In that sense, the match was an odd one, with blowout sets, with blowout sets alternating very close contested sets. And finally, in the fifth set, the Golden Bears pulled away, winning 15-11. The match leaders were Kevin Proudfoot for Alberta and Mac McNichol for UBC, with 17 kills each. And I asked Mac McNichol what he thought about the match. I just tried to keep myself calm yet confident and just help everyone as much as I could on the court. Uh, we're a really tight unit, so just being able to give guys feedback and stuff like that is really important for us. I think we really showed that we can basically compete with the best. Obviously that we can execute and we can not get pushed around by teams, we can be the enforcers. And I think it really shows that we're one of the more physical teams in the country. With his strong performance in both matches, Mac McNichol was definitely the best player this weekend for the Thunderbirds converting on the offensive side quite efficiently, recording 31 kills with only 8 errors, and he also contributed with 11 digs combined in the two matches. Once again, Ben Chow did not play this weekend, as he has been nursing an injury for a couple weeks now, with Jared Ireland stepping in to play left side in place of him. And now the Thunderbirds sit 8-4 and four in the season, good for a tie for second place in the Canada West points-wise, but they've actually played more games than Winnipeg and Brandon. And speaking of Winnipeg, the Thunderbirds welcome the Westmen to War Memorial this weekend in what will be a crucial match in terms of the standings. The Westmen boast an efficient offense leading the Canada West in hitting percentage, while the Thunderbirds aren't too far behind at third in the Canada West, so it should be an exciting matchup. And it's the Saturday second match of the two-match series for both women's and men's you can catch on our CITR sports coverage. Uh, Saturday afternoon, starting at 5 o'clock, we'll bring you the women's matchup and then 7 o'clock for the men's matchup following that. And now we'll go into our segment break here on Thunderbird Eye 101.9 FM and come back on the other side with updates from UBC Thunderbirds varsity basketball and swimming here on 101.9 FM. When was the last time you had fun? Are you getting fat? Do you have any friends? Well, you can solve all of your problems with a little rec. Or a big rec. UBC Rec is the best way to get involved on campus and have new experiences. Continue your fun, active, and social lifestyle by joining a team or signing up for an event. More details at recreation.ubc.ca. My name is David Scott, I play wide receiver for the University of British Columbia football team and I'm here to discuss the Be More Than a Bystander program. Myself and a few other players were lucky enough to work alongside the BC Lions and EVA, the Ending Violence Association, to support this cause. The main goal of the Be More Than a Bystander initiative is to increase awareness of domestic violence against women. For more information on the cause, please visit endingviolence.org. Come 
enjoy British Columbia's beautiful wilderness with the UBC Varsity Outdoors Club. Try your hand at hiking, backcountry skiing, rock climbing, kayaking, and much more. Whether you're a beginner or an expert, we have trips happening every week, usually at no cost. I'm just living my dream. Check us out online at ubc-voc.com. The UBC Ski and Snowboard Club is a non-profit, democratic, student-run organization dedicated to promoting the sports of skiing and snowboarding and the associated lifestyle. We endeavor to make skiing and snowboarding accessible and fun by actively seeking out the best deals and discounts for our members, as well as organizing trips to local ski areas and setting up numerous social events. Come on one of our legendary trips and explore the glory of riding in British Columbia. Or join us at the bar to discover the true meaning of debauchery. Ask your roommate, ask your parents, ask the RCMP. Who has the most fun at UBC? You'll get the same answer. The Ski and Snowboard Club. Yeah. Joining the Ski and Board Club is easy. Come by our office, Sub 115, anytime with some money to become a member. Your membership gives you access to all the deals offered by our sponsors, cheap beverages at our parties, an invitation to all club events, and of course, only members can come on the trips. Back here at CITR Studio One as we continue on our weekly updates of UBC Varsity Athletics. Let's get back into it with UBC Thunderbirds basketball. First on the men's side, the Thunderbirds battling the Golden Bears of the University of Alberta this past week in Edmonton. The two-game series for the Thunderbirds resulted in a uh, good bounce-back effort uh, following a Friday night loss in which they were badly outplayed by Alberta Thunderbirds able to bounce back and defeat the Golden Bears 89-84 in the Saturday game. And getting a player who was injured for them the week before, Kadar Wright, off the bench with a huge individual performance. Team high 19 points on only 21 minutes on the court. Yeah, it was uh, UBC in jeopardy of going 0-4 to start the season, which uh, they are. They did take on two very tough teams in University of Victoria and Alberta, who were the two uh, Western Canada West representatives in the CIS Nationals last year, um, but yeah, it was a bit of a, a weak performance on the Friday night. Uh, badly outplayed, outscored twenty-four to ten in the first quarter, and then twenty-seven to twelve in the second quarter. And ever since that point on, it was uh, kind of a write-off. Uh, Joel Friesen for Alberta just absolutely went off for thirty-three points, and looking at his shooting efficiency too: ten to sixteen from the floor and seven to twelve from beyond the arc. Um, but yeah, it was Kadar's right. Uh, Kadar Wright, his show on uh, Saturday night. Him and Briel Command came off the bench, provided some very uh, important spark. Um, it's kind of an area that UBC struggled with a bit lately in getting that production off the bench. And yeah, Kadar Wright, uh, six for ten shooting from the floor and five of eight from beyond the arc. And then uh, Briel Command, uh, five of eight, and uh, added six points at the free throw line as well. And uh, three other UBC uh, players in double digits on the Saturday night game. Connor Morgan um, finally kind of rounded into form a little bit uh, with 12 points. Tonner Jackson with 11 and Jordan Jetson White with 11 as well. So that's more of the team that we expect from UBC uh, able to take down these tough Alberta squads. Uh, that they were down at the half but outscored the, the Golden Bears 23-13 to in that third quarter and they used that to propel them to the victory. So uh, 
a good p- building point for them and uh, have another tough weekend ahead of them in Winnipeg this week and uh, whether they can build off that and uh, try and avoid uh, second straight season disappointment. Obviously, it's still early. You can't really t- tell too much, but uh, they are at least heading in the right direction right now. Yeah, Winnipeg is uh, two places ahead of them in the standings. It's a 3-3 three and three record and looks to be a tough challenge for UBC. Just perhaps more so the distance ha- having to travel all the way across yeah. to Manitoba just as much as the competitiveness of the opponents in the Westman. Yeah, and there's really going to be no weekends off for UBC this year with the new uh, the new divisions in the Canada West, with the Pioneers Division and the Explorers Division, and UBC's up there in the Pioneers one, and you're not going to have teams like uh, UBCO or UNBC where you can kind of coast in there and not exactly need to play your A game and come out with two victories. Every weekend's going to be a struggle, and this is going to be another one, uh, yeah, like you said, the travel as well. That's going to be the two time zones are going through as after a week of classes as well so um, we'll see what they can do there yeah this re divisional realignment has really put a corkscrew in how normally these matchups sometimes work out um, early in the schedule i think the bobcats from brandon and spartans trinity western have had a particularly tough matchup yeah. in their first <laughs> three weeks they're somehow the the only winless teams in the division at zero and six and these are some of the highest-ranked teams in the conference from seasons past. Yeah, and then you got University of the Fraser Valley, who in the past couple of years was one of those top teams. Uh, they actually were in the Canada West semifinals two years ago, and UBC barely beat them to get into the, the Canada West final, and they, they ended up winning it that year. Um, but Fraser Valley is 4-0 this year. Um, they have kind of struggled a little bit as of late in losing a couple of key transfers, but yeah, it kind of makes you wonder if uh, how it might shape up uh, at the end of the year uh, with teams like Brandon and Trinity Western, uh, usually good teams, but if they continue to struggle, if maybe Fraser Valley is the beneficiary of kind of ending up in that lower division. Yeah, something I'll keep an eye on as the season progresses. The first three weeks, maybe not representative of how the season will go down the rest of the way, but something interesting just in an anomaly to spot out uh, during the first three weeks of conference play. Uh, now turning our attention now over to the women's side in basketball, the Thunderbirds battling the Pandas at Edmonton this past week. The Thunderbirds uh, winning the Friday night matchup 73-66. Pardon me, I had that reverse yep. winning. Yeah. The Saturday matchup by that score. And then the Pandas on their home court bounce back to beat UBC 71-63. Yeah, it was UBC's first loss of the young season so far. Uh, they were dropping a 2-1, and one, and this was an undefeated Alberta team that moved them to 5-0. and oh. In that game, um, it was UBC was down by one at half, but Alberta used a strong third quarter. At an ever pivotal third quarter, they outscored UBC twenty-one to thirteen, and that led them to the eight-point victory. In that contest, Chris Young was the leading scorer with seventeen points on seven of fourteen shooting. Um, Harleen Sidhu added fourteen, and Cass Knievel added twelve, and uh, Kara Spotten also had eleven off the bench. Um, then yeah, flipping over a very nice bounce back effort for a UBC with a 73-66 victory. Um, got out actually it was the fourth quarter in this one where UBC really pulled away, outscoring them 21 uh, 21 to 12. And uh, Chris Young again leading the charge, 23 re- points and 15 rebounds. Uh, she's been phenomenal this year, and also Harleen Sidhu, uh, the other uh, big presence in the post, uh, 20 points there and eight rebounds. Yeah, the big two players for UBC, Sidhu and Young, proving why they are the big two go-to players, uh, leading the team in rebounds and points in this tough series against the 
Uh, pandas, the Pandas are still the conference leaders of a five and one record, but UBC with two games in hand in second with three wins in four games. And looking just uh, four games in for UBC, some other teams have six games played, but um, so far in, Chris Young leading the conference in 19.5 points per game on average, and she's also averaged a double-double with 10 rebounds per game as well. And uh, just looking at the team stats as well, an, an area where UBC has been very strong so far is the, the turnovers. They have averaged just 11.5 turnovers per game, which uh, is by far the best mark in the conference. The team next for the next best is Alberta, and they average four more. So uh, taking care of the ball is uh, kind of obviously a very important part of this UBC game. And uh, if you do that, obviously it leads to very good chances um, and they're getting more possessions out of that. So if they can continue that up, um, obviously that's a good sign for them. And it'll be uh, one more week after this one before the Thunderbirds are back onto their home court at War Memorial Gym and we'll bring you the play-by-play coverage of that. Uh, Two-game series first on the Friday uh, next week as well here on CITR Sports. And now we'll turn our attention now over to swimming where it's the Canada West Conference Championships uh, taking place in Lethbridge, hosted by the University of Lethbridge Pronghorns and Thunderbirds women's and men's swimming teams entering the swim meet as the number one ranked team, just as they, year, they were the year before when they were, won that title, both women's and men's sides. Yeah, the women's team has won uh, five straight Canada West Championships now, in addition to having won thir- three straight CIS Championships. Um, uh, last year at the conference, they set a new meet record for most points um, and largest margin of victory as well. The margin of victory is 497. Um, the point total was uh, 1,071. And uh, you just look at their roster, and you got uh, CIS Swimmer of the Year, Erica Seltonreich Hodgson, and then also Canada Swimmer of the Year, Savannah King, who's been an Olympian, I think, three times now. And then another Olympian, Tara Van Bylen. Um It's pretty phenomenal the way they stack up. Um, and then the men's side, they're kind of looking to rebound. Uh, as two years in a row, they finished second at Nationals. And they have swimmers like uh, Coleman Allen, who uh, was CIS Swimmer of the Year last year, and also uh, a rookie, Yuri Kassil, who uh, finished fourth at the Commonwealth Games in Scotland. Yeah, the swim program for UBC always uh, into the uh, head-to-head matchup against their uh, highest competitive rivals, the University of Calgary Dinos, uh, both schools with extremely competitive swimming programs nationally. They're usually one first place or second place at nationals and at conference meets uh, looking for that battle to renew again uh, starting uh, tomorrow through Sunday in Lethbridge. Yeah, always Calgary and then uh, you get to the national stage and it's Toronto who's kind of been the thorn and UBC's side, the team who's knocked them off uh, with narrow defeats at uh, at nationals and I believe nationals usually takes place in February so this is kind of a tune-up for UBC uh, to get get going there it's uh, maybe not the same level of competition but ever the ever the same and just adds another would add, add another uh, banner to uh, to the ones they have already so that's our update of UBC varsity sports for this week on Thunderbird I will remind you once again to join us for our play-by-play coverage first tomorrow night for hockey in the men's matchup UBC versus Manitoba Bisons 7 o'clock face-off from Thunderbird Arena. And then on Saturday, we'll bring you live volleyball play-by-play action, starting with the women's match, 5 o'clock, UBC versus Winnipeg Westman, and then followed by the men's matchup at 7 o'clock out of War Memorial Gym. Join us on our website, citr.ca, or the Canada West Conference live streaming service. 
CanadaWest.tv. For CJ Pentland, Lenny Tabakman, I'm Jason Wang. Tune us again, of course, next week for another weekly update of your UBC Varsity Athletics.